This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching today. And we especially are delighted to have those who may be watching our telecast for the very first time. We want you to continue to watch for the next few minutes as we're going to be talking about the greatness of God. One of my favorite songs is How Great Thou Art. And I'm sure that many of you uh, share that uh, as well. But so today we want to talk about why our God is so great, the greatness of our God. Now, on getting to know your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. I'd like to emphasize that it's free. Those of you who have already received the course know that what I'm telling you is the fact, that it is free. We're not going to ask for money for this course. We want you to have it, and we're going to pause for just a moment so that you can learn a little bit more about the course and a little bit more about how to receive the course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 877 I want to read now from the 145th Psalm, and I'll be reading the first three verses. I will extol you, O my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. I want you to think about that last phrase. His greatness is unsearchable. At the funeral of King Louis XIV of France, the cathedral was filled with mourners. And when they came into the cathedral, it was dark with the exception of one lone candle that was burning. They came to honor the, the king that they considered to the, the greatest king that ever lived. And when the court preacher stood up to speak, he reached over to that lone candle, and he snuffed it out. And he said, God only is great. It is impossible for us to fathom the greatness of God. It is impossible for us to adequately describe the greatness of God. For you see, according to Isaiah in the 55th chapter of the book by his name, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways 
are not our ways. In Job chapter 11 and verse 7, the question is asked, can, can you by searching find out God? So can you by searching find out God? In Romans the 11th chapter and verse 33, there Paul wrote, Oh, the depth and, uh, the, and the, of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So it's very difficult for those of us who are human beings to fathom the ways of God, the, the, the thoughts of God, and the greatness of God. In Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter in verse 3, Moses wrote, Ascribe greatness unto our God. And the Bible itself declares the greatness of God. Listen to some of these passages. For example, in Daniel, the 2nd chapter, and in verse 45, The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. Then in Isaiah the twelfth chapter and in verse number six, great is the Holy One of Israel. Then in Jeremiah the thirty-second chapter and verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. That's talking about the greatness of our God. Then in Psalms, the 48th chapter and verse number one, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Then in Psalms, the 95th chapter and verse three, for the Lord is a great God. The Lord is is a great God and a great king above all gods. You see, there is just no God like the God of the Bible. So the Bible declares his greatness, and God is great in so many ways. God is great in power. For example, in Ephesians, the first chapter and verse 19, Paul said, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. In Psalms, the 66th chapter and verse 3, the psalmist said, through the greatness of thy power, shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. Don't worry about the enemies of God. Because of his greatness, because of his power, one day all the enemies of God are going to submit themselves unto him. So God is great in power. He is great in his goodness. In Psalms chapter 31 and verse 19, David said, Oh, how great is thy goodness. And when we think about the goodness of God, it ought to fill our hearts with love for the great God of heaven. But in the third place, we notice that God is great in anger. In Numbers, the 11th chapter and verse 10, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. None of us 
want to feel the anger of God, the wrath of God. But God is great in beauty. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 17, the Bible says how great is His beauty. God is also great in mercy. In Numbers the 14th chapter and verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy. Aren't we thankful that God is great in mercy? For without His mercy, without His kindness, without His grace, without His love, without His pity, we could not be saved. But He is also great in kindness. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and in verse 17, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. I want you to think about that passage for just a moment. God is a God ready to pardon. He is ready to pardon. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. And He is also of great kindness. And so the Bible declares the greatness of God. But the greatness of God also is declared by the universe. Psalms 19 and verse 1 tells us that heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. And so when we look at the heavens above on a starlit night with the stars dancing like diamonds in the sky, it ought to remind us of the greatness of our God. Someone has said that the universe is a big advertising poster that spells God. In Romans, the first chapter in verse 20, Paul said, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Why, when we look at the universe that God made, it points to a designer. It points to someone who created the world. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says, Every house is built by some man. That's just logical. Uh, someone may say, Brother Lambert, for a, where, where did you get your house that you live in? Suppose I were to say, well, one day I... I called down to the lumber yard. I told them to bring out a load of lumber, nails, and all the things that you normally have in the making of a home and put it out on the front lawn. And, and, and I had a prayer service with my family. And then suddenly there was an explosion and the house was there. Someone says, no, it doesn't happen like that because a house shows someone who had the ability to build it. It presupposes a designer. And the Hebrews 3 and 4 says every house is built by some man. And that's just logical. But he that built all things is God. The universe above declares the greatness of God. Everything that exists has a cause for its existence. We know we exist, therefore something is. But something cannot come 
from nothing. Can you imagine in your wildest dreams of a time when there was absolutely nothing, not even a speck of dust? Now something, we exist, therefore something is, something can come from nothing, therefore something has always been. Now is that something that has always existed Mind, that is intelligence, or is it just matter? Now, some would tell us that matter is eternal. But, but matter does not create mind. Mind creates matter. For instance, the watch would not create a watchmaker. It takes a watchmaker to create the watch. And so we exist. Therefore, something is, something can come from nothing, something has always been, and that which has always been is some form of intelligence. And the Bible tells us that that form of intelligence is God. I want you to consider the vastness of the universe that our God made. Someone suggested that if you were to bore a hole in the sun, that there would be enough room to put 1,200,000 Earths like this one inside and have room for 4,900,000 moons to lie around the inside edge. Neptune is said to be 75 times larger than the Earth or 3 billion miles away. I can't even begin to fathom a billion miles, much less 3 billion miles. It's 93 million miles to the sun. Someone calculated that if you were to travel 60 miles an hour, that it would take you 177 years to get there. But Venus is 35 million miles from the sun. Mars is 140 million miles from the sun. And Jupiter is 1,250 times larger than our Earth. Saturn is 790 million miles away from the sun. Uranus is 64 times as big as our Earth, twice as far away as Saturn. And Neptune, well, someone has suggested that it would take 300 years to get to Neptune if we were to travel at the rate of 100 miles an hour, 2,780,000,000 miles away. And if you were to count the 100 per minute, it would take you 19 years to count to a billion counting day and night. The nearest star is 10,000 times farther away than that. And the North Star is 14 times farther away than our nearest star. Think about the vastness of the universe. Indeed, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. But you know the human body declares the greatness of God. Consider the cellular system. Some five trillion cells and each one having a nucleus. And it's been figured that it would take 3,630 of those to measure just one inch. But each nucleus contains DNA, which contains genes which pass hereditary traits from one generation to another. And so the human body 
is indeed a marvel. Consider the human eye. The eyes are in front of the head to keep us from injuring ourselves and walking into things so we can see where we're going. You have eyebrows to catch dust. You have eyelids that are a cleaning apparatus for the eye. And consider the bloodstream. It contains 25 trillion red corpuscles. There are 10,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. There are 40 billion white corpuscles and there are six quarts of blood. And so when you think about the way God made our body, it is a marvel indeed. It's no wonder to me that the psalmist in the 139th Psalm in verse 14 declared that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so the Bible declares the greatness of God. The universe declares the greatness of God. And the human body declares the greatness of our God. Oh, how great is our God. His ways indeed are past searching out but something else that declares the greatness of our God is the scheme of redemption. God planned the redemption of the world from the beginning of time. In Titus chapter 1 and in verse number 2, listen to what Paul wrote. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised, well, when did he promise it? Before the world began. So God had the scheme of redemption in his mind. When Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, they were without sin. But they broke the law of God by eating of the forbidden fruit in the midst of the garden. And as a result of that, sin and death entered into the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. And because of sin, there was a need for God to do something to redeem fallen man. And God in His wisdom promised before the world began that there would be a way to redeem the world from sin. So God thought about this. And Jesus Christ executed the plan of God by coming into the world. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 6, actually going back to verse 4, we're told in verse 4 that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then we're told that there's just one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified due time. Jesus gave himself. Why did he give himself? That we might re be redeemed from our sins or saved from our sins. That God might forgive us of our sins. That's the reason Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. But how would we know what to do to be saved from our sins? Even though, even though God had it in his mind from in eternity... And even though Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, how do we know 
what we must do to be redeemed or saved from our sins. Well, the Holy Spirit in, is involved in that. In the 16th chapter of John's Gospel, in verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he shall guide you into all truth. And he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired men to write the Word of God. And they, the men who were inspired wrote in the Bible the plan of salvation. They revealed to the world through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the mind of God. That is what man ought to do in order to be saved from their sins. For example, the book of Acts written by Luke is a divine record of the beginning of the church, the growth of the church, and numerous examples of people being saved from their sins. Sometimes we refer to them as examples of conversion to Christ. And indeed they are. One very simple example of conversion, that is simple in that it doesn't take a lot of space in the book of Acts, is that of the, of the Corinthians. It is said of them in Acts 18 and 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Well, how do we come to believe? We hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So they heard the preaching of the word, and they believed the preaching of the word, and they were baptized. You remember Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So Jesus Christ came into the world to carry out God's plan. The Holy Spirit has revealed that plan. But Satan has done everything he could possibly do to defeat the plan of God in saving the world. And in order that you and I be saved, we have to seek it. We have to want it. In Isaiah 55, in verse 6, Isaiah said, Seek the Lord. Well, when? While he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In Hebrews 11 and 6, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of all of them that do what? diligently seek Him. We must diligently seek the Lord. And we seek the Lord when we uh, uh, strive to obey His will. We do what He tells us to do. That's the way we seek the Lord. So again, the greatness of God is declared by the eternal purpose of God, the plan of salvation, that is re revealed for us in the Bible. But then the cross of Jesus Christ declares the greatness of our God. Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary because of the love that God had for us and that He had for us. John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and 8 reads, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3 and 4 reads, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. God's love comes into play with the cross of Jesus Christ. It was because of love for you, for me, that Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. It is said of Jesus in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, but even died for enemies. Jesus even died for people who don't believe in him. You see, that's love at its greatest. And the cross of Christ tells me that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Listen to John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But then the resurrection of Jesus Christ also declares God's greatness. God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. That's what Ephesians 1.19 reads. According to the working of His mighty power, His great power, He raised Him from the dead. And Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead by the power of God Almighty. And if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, friends, we don't have any hope. If He's not been raised from the dead, we're yet in our sins. If He has not been raised from the dead, we have no hope beyond this life. We have no message to preach. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of all men most pitiable. But because God could raise Jesus from the dead by His mighty power, we know that He can raise us from the dead on the last day. And indeed, He will. Our God indeed is a great God. But His greatness is seen in our lives. Friends, He's able to save us. He's able to save us to the uttermost, Hebrews 7.25, and He can save you. If you would give your life to Him by believing in His Son, John 8, 24. If you would truly, genuinely repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess your faith in His Son, Matthew 10, verse 32, 33. If you would be baptized, that your sins be washed away, Acts 22, 16. He's able to save you. Our God, indeed, is a great God. Now in the closing moments, I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36519.
1-877-711-5280 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>